The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum everyone. Welcome to the Arise to Success show. In this show we aim to highlight inspiring individuals and their journeys to success. My name is Jihad. I'm your host in this show. Today's show is pre-recorded so we won't be able to take any calls or any comments in, during the show or any questions but you are free to send those. Um, if you have any, any comments about the show you're welcome to send it to us on the WhatsApp on 0779481822 or you can also comment on Facebook. Today we have a clinical high-intensity CBT, CBT psychotherapist with us on the show. So we have Shaista Salim, who's also a registered social worker and a published academic author. Previously, Shaista worked as a university lecturer and in primary teaching for 13 years. Shaista says, never too old to learn. I was unable to attend college and was married at 17 and had first child at 19. Shaisa decided to go back into education in 2006, started from the basics of level one maths and have worked her way up to three degrees and a postgraduate clinical qualification. Despite challenges, Shaisa says that having long-term goals is important. Shaisa's journey into psychotherapy's training was born out of grief after the loss of her father and others in the community and now has become a means of providing hope for others at times when they feel when they may feel there is no hope. Shaisa is on a mission to make psychotherapies accessible to diverse communities and promote culturally and spiritually sensitive and adaptive clinical practice. Shaisa, it's an honor to have you on the show and mashallah, what a great background and goals you hold and mashallah, very hardworking woman as well. So tell us more about you Shaisa and all this great work that you're doing and what you've done in the past as well. Asalaamu Alaikum sister, Jazakallah Heron for such a beautiful introduction. I feel quite humbled uh, by that, so I appreciate the feedback from you. Um, alhamdulillah, my name is Shaista, which uh, is from the origins of Persian, Pushto language, which means gentle. And I am a mum of four boys. So alongside all of that, I, I juggle a very busy household of boys, Allahumma And I started my journey like you said out of grief um but in terms of education and pursuing my interest in education i think that's been something that's always been embedded inside me it's something that i wanted to do once i had left school but for some reason i was unable to do that the emphasis really from my parents was just to get me married. So by the age of 17, I, I got married and I wasn't afforded to have those options of studying. But that didn't stop me. So alhamdulillah, I had my first child at 19 and then my second when in, in 2002. I decided at that point that I would like to change my future. So I needed to work on the present moment, on, on my skills, what I had. So. Like I said, I went back into education in 2006. But thinking that I wanted to do primary teaching, which I did for a number of years, and as I progressed, then I recognised that there was a real need in the community in, with the children that we supported in terms of pastoral social support, a lot of risk management, a lot of nurturing that the children needed, which was impacting on their ability to learn in school. So then I pursued to do a master's in social work I uh, practiced in social work for four years, contributed to academic research, which has been published by Sage Publisher with the county um, University of County Durham, which I was really grateful for. And then in October 2020, something quite sad happened, whereby we were all experiencing COVID, mm. but I lost my father during COVID. And... Yeah, may Allah have mercy upon him. And that was the turning point for me, sister. That was me at first hand experiencing complicated grief, being in a position where I felt helpless and there was a lack of support out there for people like myself from the BAME community who had suffered and experienced significant loss in the community. So in a period of three months our local community lost around about 42 
people from the BAME community. And we live in quite a small locality. Now, usually that's the number of people that die in a year. So that just sums things up for you. So with the pandemic, with all the restrictions in place, I then at the time was working as a social worker. But then I started to look into psychotherapies because I, like I said, I experienced firsthand how it was to feel so helpless. And my mental health did have, uh, there was significant impact on my mental well-being. But also when I looked in the community, I saw that there was a need there. So alhamdulillah, although the journey has started in terms of psychotherapies out of grief, I'm instilling hope for myself and for the people around me to make those changes happen on the ground. Wow, subhanAllah, you know, it's quite emotional what you mentioned about, you know, that, that difficult time. And it was the case for a lot of people as well. And I've heard a lot of stories where subhanAllah, they've lost um, some of their loved ones um, during that time. So may Allah have mercy upon your father and all the others who have passed away and may Allah grant them all genetic widows. I mean, I mean um, from grief to having hope and, you know, trying to, you know, help the people to have that hope and, and challenges can can make us lose hope sometimes so what's that secret how do and, and how do we help people who are going through challenges to maintain hope when we are feeling hopeless there's a tendency not to want to admit that in the community and just just beings we we want to hold on to the fact that we've got this we can handle situations that life throws at us but the reality is that we are part of a bigger network we are a social species so we need each other for support and help when there is no hope in terms of my own experience being somebody who is quite attuned to the religion having Islam has been a protective factor for me. For, mm -hmm. So for me, spirituality has been one massive protective factor that's helped me overcome my own challenges along life. Mm -hmm. For other people, it's quite common that when people do feel hopeless, that they don't want, they, they don't feel as engaged in context of spirituality. They might not pray as often or they might be praying but they don't feel like they're actually connecting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mm. and it's just the strength that we have so even though that person may not feel like they want to offer their prayers that they're not they don't feel like they belong people around them the support network is really important and it's just having the courage to say to somebody that I need help and inshallah that help will come so it's down to spirituality and support system. Um, I mean, it would be great to have the both. But as you said, those who sometimes find it difficult to connect spiritually, uh, um, spiritual, in a spiritual way, <laughs> the word is not coming out. If they can't connect in a spiritual, spiritual way, um, then having that support system is important. So at least either one of them, but having the both can be quite strong in helping individuals cope and also um, have hope as well. Is that right? Absolutely. Um, hope is being hopeless is one of the trademarks of depression itself. So when we look at somebody who's clinically depressed, most of those people that come through will have the hopelessness as, as a symptom. Like there, there is no light at the end of the tunnel for them. They can't see that there is a way out of their difficulties. And now when people stay stuck in that mindset or that that constant thinking cycle, that's when it leads to suicidal ideations and tendencies. So if, for example, there is somebody in the family who has become really withdrawn and is expressing hopelessness, that mm -hmm. could be through ignoring the, the self-care, the personal care, or just not react, you know, responding as they would normally do, then the, the most kind and compassionate thing that the family or support system can do for that person it's just to have that conversation and say, are you okay? Mm. Um, yeah. It's very important. Yeah, it's, it's interesting when you said about the self-care here, because my next question would have been, there are a lot of people who really struggle to have that self-care when they're not in a good place. 
Um, so what would be helping them? And you've already answered that question by saying that support system. And we um, before we started the show, we kind of, me and yourself were having a very quick conversation about this. And I was saying that the support system has actually been mentioned several times in previous shows as well. So it kind of shows how important a support system is. And I also work with, with some young young people and I find that those who don't have a support system, specifically family support system, they are in a very, very challenging place and they find it very difficult to deal with challenges and they very easily can go and, and use the wrong routes to um, to deal with challenges. So parents who are listening out there, um, just kind of a message to send out there that having a support system is very important and could just start with just checking on your child from time to time, how they're doing and, you know, what they get if they go through any challenges and just support them with that in, in a nice and friendly way because sometimes I feel that young people, they don't really like to um to um, speak to their parents about their challenges and they'd rather speak to their friends so it's kind of like doing it in a more of a friendly level in order for us to be able to provide that support system what are your thoughts on this Shaista? I agree with what you're saying there it's absolutely essential that we um create environments in our home where we talk about emotions so the importance of emotional intelligence and bringing those conversations up in the home is really important because there might have been a generation um where feelings um and thoughts were really kind of suppressed mm. so it might have been you know a group of people in the past that probably you know in terms of the way they parented in those days perhaps you know you just keep your emotions in you don't really share what you think you just do as you're told that kind of a rhetoric that's been ongoing for so long and it might have might have worked in those days but with the complex issues that our young people are facing today that we are facing in this country today having an open conversation about mental well-being is so important and i am really quite pleased because I think more people are now talking about mental well-being, and now you have got people um, like footballers talking about mental well-being. But the conversation needs to be happening in our massages. They need to be happening in places where our people go and attend the community centres. You know, it needs to be normalised because as a community in terms of the BAME community, which we refer to as a Black Asian minority ethnic groups, we are disproportionately impacted by mental illness more than any other mm. ethnic group. So it there needs to be more conversations going on. And I'm, I'm pleased to say that there is. There is a slow change happening and we see that happening, but a lot more work needs to be done mm. in, in that regard. Yeah, I'm, I'm noticing, as you said, that it's becoming more common, some, it's something more more common to talk about. But as you said, it's more it should be more of a collective work rather than just some families doing it and others not. And as you said, the massage as well. So it's more of a collective work to help the individual and therefore we are helping the community as well that way. So Sakalafe for sharing that. And just to remind listeners, just in case anybody joins us um, late, um, we have... Um, Shaista Salim on the show, who is a clinical high-intensity CBT psychotherapist, a registered social worker and a published academic author. Previously, Shaista also worked as a university lecturer and in primary teaching for 13 years. Shaista was unable to attend college and was married at 17 and had her first child at 19, but she decided to go back into education in 2006, in 2006 and started from the basics level one maths and have worked her way up to three degrees and a postgraduate clinical qualification. Despite all the challenges, Shaista says that having a long-term goal is important. So Shaista, relating to the long-term goal, um, tell us more about setting those long-term goals and why they are important. Long-term goals is, is a way of recognising where you would like to be. So mm. it, although we live in the moment and it's good to be present in the moment, as Muslims, we always encourage to better ourselves. Mm. And in order for us to create a change, in our own future, then we need to be able to have the courage to set some goals and thinking, okay, this is where I am at now, but I would like to to achieve this maybe in the next five years or so. Setting long-term goals, it's a way of instilling confidence, promoting hope, and also it 
it gives us it allows us to have the freedom to pave our own paths in our lives to some extent mm -hmm. sometimes social structures from family structures sometimes illness sometimes you know we we are afflicted with many tests so that kind of stop us from achieving what we would like to achieve which is fine because we have to embrace those difficulties as we progress in life but having goals it allows us to remain hopeful and work progressively towards creating positive change mm. and when it comes to setting long-term goals does that also include some short-term goals in order to achieve that long-term goal or do we just does it work better to just set one goal and you know is there like a plan to work in short-term goals to make it easier for me how it, how it's worked for me is when i started my journey in education in 2006 for me it was right i'm just going to get my qualification in terms of my maths and my english and get the qualifications that i need to get onto another course so mm -hmm. that was a small goal as i got more into the, the education and i got more experience in terms of work I then recognize that my own interests and my values lie somewhere else. So values is really important, knowing who you are as a person, what strengths you have, and you know, even your personality type is important. And we've talked about this before, haven't we? Personality types, knowing your personality types really helps us pave our path for the future. So for me, it's been about, okay, short-term goals, which would be probably in terms of education, it's been about a year. Give yourself a year, practice whatever you've been learning for, for a year and then see if there's scope for growth. If there is scope for growth, then continue setting those small goals in, in mind. And I suppose there is a, an overall long-term goal is just to become better people, really. That's, that's the fundamental. It's for you to become a better Muslim, for you to become a better practitioner, and for you to become the best version of you. Mm -hmm. And our deen, subhanAllah, you know, subhanAllah, it, it encourages that. It encourages for you to be the best version of yourself. And that's something that we take from the sunnah because the whole concept of nasiha, which is advice, it's counseling, it's seeking support, it is to improve ourselves. So it's a concept in terms of the long-term goals or the short-term goals it links really beautifully with our dean already mm. Mm. that's great and I'm, I'm i'm you know what you mentioned about the personalities there and, and it, it kind of relates to um the personalities um that i that i come to kind of personalities work that i do from the islamic perspective where and i just want to just spend just a few seconds to talk a little bit about that so that the listeners are aware of it is that the um there is a concept that the prophet muhammad uses um that he helped the sahabas by nurturing their personalities and using their personalities in the right place so as you mentioned about you know certain personalities they like to work more of a uh, uh, to have a vision like long-term vision this is what i want to achieve and kind of focus on the future which is great but i also advise with that is not to neglect the present because when we so focus on the future we forget the present and therefore setting small goals to achieve the big goal is great. Um, there are certain personalities that focus more on the present and they kind of forget about the future. So as you mentioned about having that long-term goal is, is quite good so that it kind of helps them to think about the future as well. So knowing your personality is very important as a start um, in order for you to accommodate for your own needs because what works for everybody is, you know, what worked for you, Shaista, couldn't work for some people, cannot work for others as well. So it's all about, you know, your personality. But I think having that balance between the two, a long-term and a short-term goal, kind of com combines the different personalities and helps us to have that balance of doing the two and also making sure that we have a, we do achieve those big and small goals as well. So Sakla khair for that. Um, I was also thinking, as you were mentioning, about, you know, having the... Um, long-term goal there and you know sometimes things setbacks can come up or certain things that can come up that can stop us from achieving those goals how do we deal with, with those setbacks sometimes it can be really difficult for individuals for example if they're so focused in the future and they want to achieve that one goal or several goals that they have but certain things come up for example it's an illness or something can delay um, achieving the goals at a specific time how do we deal with those setbacks because those setbacks can make some people feel quite down. It can 
stop them from achieving these goals. It can stop people um, or it can make some people give up. So how was the best way of dealing with those setbacks? It's a really good question what you posed there. I suppose it's recognising that although we we may plan for the future and we may think that something is good for us, mm. um, as Muslims, it's recognising that the Allah is the best of planners. Mm. So if something comes your way and it's something that's deterring you from reaching your long-term goal, well, it might just be that the long-term goal that you've set for yourself isn't actually good for you. Mm. And these little... Um, incidents so these these occurrences that are happening is a way of of in a way protecting you or perhaps helping you to look at your long-term goal in a different way so flexibility i think is key here so yes we set ourselves long-term goals but being flexible and being adaptable to the situation is really important of course you know if something happens where we have got a long-term goal established for ourselves we are going to feel emotionally upset about that. We are going to feel sad about that. Some of us might even go down the route of depression because they feel like life is just becoming so overwhelming and their whole worth, in a sense, was attached to that long-term goal. Yeah. So it's looking at your long-term goal and what does that mean? So yes, you, you've got something in mind, but if you don't reach that, is that going to really impact on you as a whole person? So is it your long-term goal that's defining you or is it just you going along the journey and adapting and being flexible and enjoying and really embracing the journey that you're on towards the long-term goal? So yes, definitely be compassionate to those people that have got hindrance, have got difficulties along the way, but also sometimes you know Allah tests you in a way to test your patience and test you know what you will do in that situation will you perhaps he's actually he is putting you towards a better path absolutely and I love that it's to plan and to have goals but not to neglect or forget that Allah is the best planner so having that trust in Allah and yeah. taking action it goes hand in hand so for that I, I love the way you mentioned it there now um Tell us more about your mission to make psychotherapy accessible to diverse communities. And, and just before you answer that, I'm just going to quickly remind the listeners that we have Shais on the show today, who is a clinical high-intensity CBT psychotherapist, a registered social worker, and a published academic author. Previously, Shais also worked as a university lecturer in primary teaching for 13 years. So Shais, coming back to the question, tell us more about your mission, because you said that you have a kind of mission to make psychotherapy accessible to diverse communities. Tell us more about that. Okay, so I recently graduated with a clinical qualification as a CBT therapist. So before I go on, let's talk about what CBT therapist is. So a CBT therapist is somebody who's trained in cognitive behaviour therapy. It's a talking therapy. It's evidence-based according to the NICE guidelines, and it's what we use in the National Health Service to treat mild to moderate mental health illness. So I'm talking about conditions such as social anxiety, PTSD, depression, phobias, etc. So it's a concept that was derived by psychodynamics and psychoanalysis theory back in the 1960s. Mm -hmm. And it's still and it's progressed since then. And I've qualified in that. And what I'm seeing in terms of the area that I live in and the area that I work in, that although we have a high population of people from the Black, Asian, ethnic minority groups um, living in this area, there's very small proportion of them that are accessing the therapy. Mm. Now, this is something that our local trust that I work for has also identified and is in support of trying to change. So there's been some real changes going on in the organisation that I'm working in. Now, for me, it's about the rhetoric of hard to reach communities. So some, you know, we hear this and we've heard it for so many years, or those communities are hard to reach. Well, that doesn't really sit well with me because of my values, and I suppose it's the social worker aspect of me about promoting social justice and equality. 
it's about you creating diverse approaches so that you're able to tap into those communities with a different approach that suits them. So if we are trying to change a narrative here, then we need to try and understand what are the barriers, what are the challenges, what's working well and what can we do to improve. So the focus work that I'm doing to change the narrative is to do more outreach work. So me and my team are, are out there in the local community centres delivering sessions on depression, on anxiety. And um, we, we're hoping to make those changes. Okay, brilliant. Jazakallah for this. We'll continue, inshallah, after the break because it is time to go for a break. So, listeners, this is Inspire FM Luton on 105.1. We'll go for a short break, but we have Shaisa on the show today, who is a CBT, clinical high-intensity CBT psychotherapist. So please stay tuned for after the break. We have a lot more to discuss. So I don't know what's wrong with my speaking today. So see you shortly. <laughs> Asalaamu Alaikum. This is Atif Nawaz. Listen to Inspire FM shows in your time by heading over to inspirefm.org or listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Assalamu alaikum everyone, welcome back to the Arise to Success show. We have Shaisa with us today who is a clinical high intensity CBT psychotherapist, a registered social worker and a published academic author. Previously Shaisa worked as a university lecturer and in primary teaching for 13 years. Shaisa says, never too old to learn. I was unable to attend college and was married at 17 and had first child at 19. Shaisa decided to go back into education in 2006 and started from the basics of level one maths and have worked her way up to three degrees and a postgraduate clinical qualification. Despite challenges, Shaisa says that having long-term goals is important. Shaisa's journey into psychotherapy's training was born out of grief after the loss of her father and others in the community and now has become a means of providing hope for others at times when they, they may feel there is no hope. Shaisa is on a mission to make psychotherapies accessible to diverse communities and promote culturally and spiritually sensitive and adaptive clinical practice. Um, just to let you know, listeners, that this is a pre-recorded show that we have on today, so we won't be able to make to take any calls or questions, but please feel free to text WhatsApp your thoughts about the show at 0779481822, where you can comment on Facebook as well. So Shaisa, before the break, we were discussing, um, you know, your uh, mission in um, to make psychotherapy accessible to diverse communities. And you mentioned that you're, you're on a team of a few individuals. So tell us more about that kind of work that you're currently doing with that team. Okay, so I work with the Lancashire South Cumbria Foundation Trust, and we've identified as an organisation that we need to be doing more to make services accessible to the people that we serve. Okay, so we've recognised as well for many decades now that there are mental health inequalities whereby people from the Black, Asian and ethnic minorities tend to suffer more with mental illness and are disproportionately institutionalized when perhaps they're not accessing the support that would prevent that from happening. Mm -hmm. So I come at a service where I'm able to offer with my team some support in terms of providing education and setting up courses to improve levels of depression and anxiety in the community that I live in. Mm -hmm. So the work that we're doing is we're liaising with community centers we have got a plan where we will be engaging with the local massages. So we, we, we're going to go out and we're going to talk to the, the, the communities there about mental well-being. And the feedback that we've had over the last three months, so I'd say it's been about three, four months since we've really taken off with this this idea, has mm -hmm. been overall really positive. It's it's what I'm hearing from people, the feedback that we're getting from the communities that we're in is that we need support, we need help. And one of the barriers that they find accessing the therapies is they don't know how to access them. They don't know they have choices. So for example, if somebody makes a referral to our service for talking therapy, for psychotherapy, 
if, for example, that individual want individual wants somebody from the South Asian culture, the background, somebody who can speak the language such as Urdu or Pashto or Bangla, then as patients, they're able to request those. Whether the service is able to accommodate for that is another matter, but we use interpreters in our sessions when we can't accommodate as a psychotherapist because there's not enough psychotherapists from those communities in the service in the first place. So I feel quite privileged to be a psychotherapist who's able to relate to my community, understand their culture, but also have an insight in terms of spiritual um, Islamic psychology. So currently I'm doing a course on Islamic psychology and counselling and I feel quite blessed that I'm able to embed where necessary principles from that into my practice today. That's amazing and just listening to yourself I'm just thinking about because I'm located in Luton I was like oh no you're not located in Luton so where are you based just in case anybody's listening from community centres and they would like to know more about it. I'm based in East Lancashire I work for a team in the Burnley area Mm. but we cover most of East Lancashire. Brilliant that's great and um, with because I follow you on Instagram as well so and I was telling you um, prior to the show that the things that you have the tips that you provide in, on Instagram they're so educational they're so informative and I feel that a lot of people can relate to them for example there was one post that I found really really interesting about um, if we have specific you know ways for example being too clingy or you know having attachment and things like that you talked about the inner child and thinking about our inner child and accommodating for the needs of that inner child. It was done in a really, really beautiful way that people can easily relate to. So would, if, if it's possible to share that Instagram, because I think one, it could be just one post, Jason, it can change someone's life completely. So if, you, if you're happy with sharing that, because I would love for the listeners to keep an eye on your content and find and hopefully find that useful as well inshallah. for such lovely feedback I appreciate uh, the kindness there that you're expressing and I'm I'm quite joyful that you've you've found benefit from that post. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm quite new to Instagram mm-hmm. which means that it's quite a creative and exciting journey for me so the content that I create is my own mm-hmm. and I use my own experiences from the past I use the experience from grief from losing my father during COVID and some of my clinical experience of what I encounter, you know, during the week, maybe the theme that I found with my patients, I use that to influence and to inspire me in terms of the posts. So my Instagram account is mind underscore mapping underscore peace. Now, my dad, my father's name was Salim. And the word peace is, it, it, it means Salim. So for me, this is a very um, important account name, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and I dedicated this Instagram account to my father. So whoever does benefit from these posts, that will be Sadgajaria for my father, who was a very blessed man. His, house, his heart was attached to the masjid. And he, you know, mashallah, lived a very fulfilled life. So, yeah, Jazakallah for for bringing that up. I appreciate your kindness for that. Well, yeah, Ken, may Allah, inshallah, make it sadaqah for you as well, you know, to gain the reward for doing that, inshallah, mm-hmm. as Jerry, for your father as well. Yeah. What brings, what comes to mind with that is, you know, somebody asks me in terms of my jobs, like, you know, do you not find your job to be really difficult, you know, because you are dealing with so many complex um, emotions. We have patients who bring stories their stories i'm in a, in a position quite privileged that you know people feel able to share some of their difficult stories and we're able to make sense of their life mm-hmm. and somebody asked well is this not a really difficult job why, why do you do what you do mm-hmm. and what really keeps me going and when we talk about values is that there's this hadith where the prophet sallallahu said that you know If a Muslim removes a hardship from another Muslim in this dunya, then Allah will remove that hardship for him in the next life. So for me, and I hope for many Muslims out there, the work that we do as psychotherapists has a much deeper meaning and value to perhaps somebody who's not 
who doesn't have those values and those those inspirations about the dean so i think it's really important so even if it's the one post and somebody looks at that and they think actually yeah that helps me for me that's me building up my treasure for the next life so it's it's really rewarding it is rewarding that's amazing, mashallah. And when you mentioned about removing that hardship, you're doing an amazing job, mashallah, doing that, you know, removing that hardship, inshallah. And, and inshallah, all the people that you work with, inshallah, they benefit from your amazing expertise and experiences as well. And just to point out to listeners that removing hardship, you know, for, uh, uh, when you're dealing with others and, and helping them to remove that hardship, it can be done in any any form, simply as mm. smart as somebody can be away from removing hardship. Um, recently, um, I was working, doing some work with a young person, and when he finished his counselling, he, you know, brought me some flowers. And at that time, I was going through some difficulties. And subhanAllah, it could be just something so simple, but those flowers made a big difference to me. Uh, because it was, a, it came at a time when, when a lot of things were going on. So it could be something so simple, but it can contribute to removing that hardship from someone's life. So no matter how small or big, don't underestimate it. Anything, any action can help somebody. And when you were talking earlier as well, Shyster, um, about, you know, the kind of work that you're doing, where you said that, you know, you help in the community and going to community centers and so on and so on. So it just makes me think sometimes individuals um, from our communities as well, um, who are not used to talking about mental health it could be that they've gone through a lot of hardship from a young age or tra traumas or any difficulties um or you know in relationships or any form of, of, of difficulties a lot of them cope in the sense that let's rely on a law which is great as you mentioned earlier but also they could be neglecting themselves in dealing with the challenges that they've gone through could you perhaps talk a little bit about is it important? What happens if we don't do that? What happens if we just put them aside and we think, oh, just by just by putting them aside, we'll be able to move on? So could you talk a little bit about that? Okay. So from the question there, just correct me if I'm wrong. Are you talking about when people just ignore or suppress their thoughts and their emotions about a particular thing? Is that what we're talking about here? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So one of the when we suppress our thoughts from a clinical perspective now I'm talking when we suppress our thoughts and our emotions what tends to happen is those thoughts and emotions are still inside you somewhere <laughs> you know you, it's like the analogy of a pressure cooker okay so you've got all the the steam building up in a pressure cooker and and you keep you keep it closed but then and that's your way of coping so you you've you've get everything you've shut it away you, it's it's in a box it's safe it's it's got the lid on it's fine mm. but what happens is that something might happen in in their lives where they feel triggered yeah and when somebody feels triggered all of a sudden you have this outburst of mm. emotions and the, the the mental illness will will plummet so that's what happens. So suppressing your emotions and your thoughts is the one key factor that maintains depression and anxiety. So we in our practice try and encourage our patients to gradually understand why they suppress, where did they learn that from, what, how does it serve them, does it help? Sometimes it does, but mostly it doesn't. And gradually help them face those fears which have become so big in their mind that they feel that the only way they can cope with that is to keep it all locked in now in terms of cbt even though i mentioned that it was a concept that's been developed in the 1960s actually there was this uh, muslim um genius of psychological medicine called Abu Zaid al-Balki. I'm not sure if you've heard of him uh, in the ninth century. Um, and he's, he was a fantastic um, mm. educator. He was a mathematician. He was really uh, well-versed in human psychopathology. He was the, actually the first person, um, Muslim, who brought about the concept of CBT. So he researched and treated conditions like stress, OCD, depression, and phobia. And he was the first person really who had established a hospital where they treated not only the physical illness, but the mental stress and the illness that came from that. So his concept 
was that when we are unable to manage those emotions and thoughts, it will result in physical symptoms. So you will feel physical anguish. So you might develop pains and aches in your body. So in order for us to treat the physical or the mental, we have to treat each of them separate, well, together, really. That's how it works. We have to have an integrated approach so we can support people, not only in the physical health, but the mental well-being, but also in terms of spirituality, their soul, you know, and, and reviving that soul and that fitra needs to become more strong. It's interesting what you said about the physical symptoms because I do, you know, hear a lot of, you know, individuals when they go to the doctors and they're having, you know, some symptoms and the doctors are like, there's nothing wrong, right? So it's interesting that you say that mental health can lead to physical symptoms and therefore treating mental health is very important. And I love how you related it to Islam and the fact that being a Muslim does not mean we can't, you know, we just have that reliance on Allah, which is great, as I mentioned, having that reliance on Allah is great. But also if you have a physical symptom, you go to the doctor. And therefore, if you have mental challenges or emotional challenges, or you've gone through some difficulties, whether from a young age or, or recent, is very important to go to the right experts to deal with that. So Shazakallah for sharing this, um, Shaista. Coming back to what you said about never too old to learn. So you weren't able to go to college and married at 17 and had your first child at 19. Now, mashallah, you are a clinical high-intensity CBT psychotherapist, a registered social worker and a published academic author, and previously a university lecturer and worked in, in, in primary teaching for 13 years as well. Now, my... Uh, what I'm wondering here is that what motivated you to do all this and start from basics as well? And, you know, some individuals can easily give up, especially after having children, like, okay, you know, I couldn't do these things in my life. I'll just invest it in my children and, and, and help them to achieve what they want, which is great. But then they're neglecting themselves. So what was your motivation to work on yourself and feel that you are never old to learn? That's a really good question. Again, I think the motivation was... I was thinking about this, actually, um, because I'm on a leadership course at the moment and they were talking about what's your why? Why do you do what you do? And once you understand your why, your life makes a whole lot of sense. So for me, I suppose my life history has had its fair share of ups and downs. I was a young carer from the age of nine, nine years. My mum has experienced challenges with her mental well-being so being the elder sibling of six there was a huge amount of responsibility on me mm -hmm. so I think my first leadership role was being a carer mm -hmm. it was taking on the role of being a carer so with that experience I then as I grew older I was always really into the concept of social justice and, and wanting to do things for other people. So my values, if I reflect back of why I do why, what I do and what motivates me is wanting to create change so other people can have a positive outlook. You don't have to be stuck in the situation that you're in. There are ways out of the situation, however difficult it may seem or appear or feel at the time, there is a way out. And for me, if Allah has allowed me to be in a position now where, alhamdulillah, I've had the support from my husband and my children to get to where I am, I've got this knowledge which I feel is important to share with the people because it will reduce some of their hardships. So what motivates me is wanting to create real change for people and myself. Um, I think that's what drives me. That is the why. And when I look in my community and I see that, you know, we are disproportionately impacted by that. If there is nothing really happening on the ground to change that. Allah's put me in a position now with the knowledge and skills I've gathered over the years and also my life experience to be able to make some changes that I feel like that's what pushes me. Mm. Mashallah, that, that's beautiful, mashallah. And may Allah grant you success in all you do, mashallah. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing, mashallah, the work that you do. So I'm just going to remind the listeners, just in case anybody joined us now, uh, we have Shaisa Salim on the show today, who's a clinical high-intensity CBT psychotherapist, a 
a registered social worker and a published academic author. Previously, Shaista worked as a university lecturer and in primary teaching for 13 years. Shaista was unable to attend college and was married at 17 and had her first child at 19. She decided to go back into education in 2006 2006 and started from the basics of level one maths and have worked her way up to three degrees and postgraduate clinical qualification. Shaisa's journey into psychotherapy's training was born out of grief after the loss of her father and others in the community and now has become a means of providing hope for others at times when they may feel that there is no hope. Shaisa is on a mission to take psychotherapy's or to make psychotherapies accessible to diverse communities and promote culturally and spiritually sensitive and adaptive clinical practice. Today's show is recorded, so we won't be able to take any calls or any questions, but please feel free to text or WhatsApp your thoughts about the show on 0779481822, or you can also comment on Facebook. So Shaista, you know, you've lost your father, may Allah have mercy upon him, um, granting Jamatul for those but again, learning, talking about learning that we we're talking about earlier, learning never stopped for you. Um, and this loss actually became a means of giving hope to the community. Um, now, I'm wondering here why psychotherapy and how does it give help to others? Because you mentioned earlier as well that you want to make a change to yourself and, and change and make change to others. Why psychotherapy is specific and how does it help to help, you know, to kind of um, give that hope? I suppose it comes back to the, the the topic of what we've discussed several times already is the the mental health inequalities that we're experiencing mm -hmm. and because covid happened and it was a stark reminder of how deep those health and mental health inequalities are so mm -hmm. it, it was it was a real slap in the face to say actually why is it that people from the black asian minority ethnic minorities died much more than other communities and and there's several factors and there's been various reports that are on that so for me at that time where i experienced grief and it was really difficult um feeling to kind of deal with i was also on the journey of finding myself and i've always had an interest in psychotherapy so i think if you are able to create a change in somebody's thinking so mm. they are no longer drowning in negative thought that there is another way of thinking you're able to change somebody's mindset with the skills that they already have yeah. you are creating a change which will hopefully have a positive impact in generations to come mm. it's about challenging the generational traumas that we've experienced for so long. So if you can create some change by teaching people the skills to help them cope with the challenges of life, mm -hmm. you are actually being very proactive in changing the future for the generations to come. And also to point out to the younger generations as well that taking care of mental health is important. So inshallah that with the work that you're doing that will help them to understand this and you know sometimes is out of control when certain things happen and it can lead to all those challenges can lead to mental health difficulties so having to deal with that is actually quite important. So Just before we end Shaista, what advice would you, would you give to others to start taking care of their mental health? The advice I would give to myself and others is that life will present many challenges to us. Um, that's something that we know in terms of the deen in Surah Bukhara Allah says that he will test us in terms of our health, our wealth, children, you know, and, and other aspects even with grief and death. So although we still have to experience those experiences, there's nothing saying that you have to experience them on your own. So reach out to people that you know that will be able to offer you some kindness and support. If you feel that your mental health is taking a real dip, it's declining, there are services that you can access on the National Health Service. Yes, I understand that there are challenges around waiting times, but you will still be on a waiting list and you will eventually be seen. If you how reluctant about that maybe have a conversation with the gp about your mental well-being 
and see what it is that they can do, but just not to suffer in silence because when we start to lock ourselves away from the world and we just sit in that darkness, that's when hopelessness creeps in and that's when we find that there is no way out. So inshallah, seek that support, seek that kindness from people around you. And you know, what I'm finding is that the community is becoming more compassionate around mental health and there are support services out there. So just don't suffer in silence. Yeah, that, that's amazing. Jazakallah khair for sharing that. In few seconds and 30 seconds, can people do it on their own or would they? Would you recommend having an expert to help them? I would say that when we are highly triggered emotionally, our thinking part of the brain, it temporarily becomes offline. So sometimes we we are so wrapped up in the emotional part of things that we're not, we're not able to really see the logic or reasoning or make rational decisions. So it's about you. Start with obviously the adhgar, start with the prayers, start with doing things what you usually do, seek that support. If you're seeking support from other people, if you find that that's not helping, that your your issues are much deeper, then I would say seek some professional help. But from people that are highly qualified, it is not worth you investing your or putting your mental health in the hands of somebody who is not qualified because subhanAllah, they can create more damage than they can create good. Absolutely. for that and for sharing those tips that how they can do it on their own, but also if they're at a stage where they need support, is to seek out that support and to have that support system that you've mentioned earlier. And just point out because you pointed out the NHS, there's also um psychology today if somebody wants to reach a, a um a therapist, or there's also a specific one for Muslims, which is called MCAPN, which stands for the um what does it stand for? I just looked it up. Um Sorry, I'm just gonna Muslim counselors um support network, something like this. So specifically for Muslims. Jazakallah khair, to everybody who who tuned in. I hope inshallah that you have benefited from this. And inshallah tune in to future shows which take place every Monday, 6 to 7 p.m. Jazakallah khair, thank you, Chaisa, and assalamu alaikum. Jazakallah khair alaikum assalam. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Why not tune in to our live stream? at inspirefm.org and follow and subscribe to our social media platforms at inspirefmluton.